incredible, incredible God, in fact. We have a good God, and He's always working, always drawing people to Himself. In fact, um, this evening's um, topic, we're in a series um, talking around Jesus coming to earth, um, but um, I'm looking at the different phrases of, of um, uh, how, how that's explained, what he's come to do. Uh, last week, um, Tamara spoke that um, Jesus came to, um, to give life in abundance. And, and we've, we've landed tonight actually on um, he came to seek and save the lost which um, there's your sermon there. I don't, I'm, I'm sort of trying to go, do I even do, we even do this? Or, <laughs> um, but God, God is good. And, and th- this is literally um, his doing. Everything that, that we've heard of tonight is, is him on display as the one who comes to save. Uh, and it means something for our lives. It, it definitely... If you, if you didn't feel anything in that in, um, tonight, we've got paramedics around, I'm sure. Um, but, but it means something. He's calling us and drawing us into something here. Um, and, and we, and we want to open up our lives to that, don't we, church? Um, more of what he has. I was talking to, to, to one of Craig's um, mates just then, and, he was, and, and his, his heart was captivated by what next? What next? God's always working. Let's come with open hearts, ready for him to continue the work that he's doing. We're gonna start off in um, Matthew 1, 18 to 25, which is a, a quick snapshot of, of who Jesus is and, and how he came into the world and for what reason. Uh, and and this, is, this is what it says, verses um, 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to divorce her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had given birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Two perfect names there for the one who comes into this world to save Jesus, which means God saves, for he came to save uh, his people from their sins. He's the light of the world as well, but that's another, that's another series. Um, and also Emmanuel, God with us. Two perfect names to encapsulate all of who he is and what he came to do. 
The interesting thing though, when, when we come to Christmas, I feel like uh, this is something I sense every time, is that there's an incredible expectation towards who God is and what he's come to do. Um, there's, there's a huge affirmation from God. Uh, there's, there's prophecies that have been um, coming for thousands of years leading up to this point where the Savior of the world is coming to be born. Um, there's there's uh, the universe, the stars, the, um, the, the planets lining up for his birth, uh, a star in the sky. It's not a once-in-a-lifetime event. It's a once-ever event, um, all pointing towards this one thing that's about to happen, the Savior, God himself, come in the flesh to save his people, to save those that are lost. At the same time, with, with all of these big things happening, heavenly hosts coming and singing uh, uh, um, to, to shepherds and calling them to come and worship, um, kings from the east coming just to bow down to this baby. Uh, it is a baby, and in, and in an obscure town in the Roman Empire, uh, nothing really special there, very special for the Jews, but, but in the grand scheme, just... Um, it seems so insignificant from a human perspective. There's pain in the birth, I'm sure. There's, there's no space for him in Bethlehem. The first few years of his life are spent in exile, um, hiding from, from Herod who wants to kill him. And it's just not what you would expect for the one who's coming to save. It almost seems like, like he's perhaps the one who needs saving in, in these moments. It, it, it's a bit disorienting in a way. Um, the, the way that he comes onto the scene. Luke 19.10 is where it says, the son of man came to seek out and to save the lost. This week, um, we've been um, doing a lot of setup for, for Christmas lights, and um, um, I, I particularly have been doing stuff in the Christmas forest, which is in the chapel, if you know, if you know the property, um, and I'm, I'm about to, so just a quick disclaimer, I'm about to tell a quick story about another pastor's son. Usually, it's a no-go zone for your own child as a pastor, but uh, this is probably even worse, so I'm going to have to change the names a bit. So um, th this particular pastor, David, not to be confused with David, um, and his son, uh, Hunter, uh, they, they, they had come to, to join in and help out, and um, David came to the Christmas forest, and he dropped off his son, Hunter, because that was apparently where all the fun was happening. And, uh, and, and so he left him there to help out with us, and then he went over to uh, the other auditorium to, um, to set up there. And things were going great for Hunter. He was really enjoying it, playing with the other kids. Uh, a few hours went by, though, and I was out with, with um, one of the other people that was helping. And um, Hunter comes out, and he's, he's definitely disoriented. He, he, he's clearly um, um, distraught in a way. He's on the verge of tears, and he just comes up and quietly says, excuse me, I'm lost. Um, which, 
which at first I thought he was, like I, I could see he was serious, but at the same time I thought he was joking because there's no way he could be lost here. This is like his second home. He spends so much time here. He knows the place like the back of his hand. He, he, it's almost like he owns the place. And so I didn't really un- understand. So, so we said, what, what, what was that, um, Hunter? And, um, and, and he said, I- I'm lost. And he's just about to cry. And um, the person I was with said, oh, you're, you're looking for your dad. You, you want to know where your dad is? And he, and he nodded his head. And, and, and so this person just reassured him and said, no, no, actually, he's here, he's around, uh, don't worry. And then um, um, they text him and, and he pretty much just came straight over and, and everything was fine. But it just made me think as I, as I left, that, um, left that situation, um, you know, what, what does it mean to be lost? Because certainly in this situation, it was more than not knowing where you are because he, he definitely knew where he was. Uh, but there was something going on in him where he had a sense, I'm, I'm, I'm separated from something. I'm, I'm lost. I don't, I don't know where I am. It's not um, that his parent had been too busy and forgotten about him. It's not that he'd been negligent. It's not even that he'd been too focused on something and had com- it, com- it had completely slipped his mind um, that, his, that his son was around. It, it, it wasn't that either. And so what is, what is it to be lost? Because it's, it's the same with us. We, we, we can be in a, in a world where we know um, perhaps how things work. We've got our own routines. We, we know how to get to school. We know how to go uh, home, work. We have a whole heap of routines. And there, there's a sense that we know where we are in this world. We know what we're doing. And yet there can be something beyond that that really gives us a sense that something is not right. We heard that, in fact, in, in Craig's story. Isaiah 53.6 gives us a picture of, of what's, what's going on here. It says this, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. None of us are exempt from this reality of being lost. Um, it's true that we, we find our own paths and our own ways in this world, um, and they may seem like they're going somewhere for a time, but ultimately, even the things that we think are certain, we find ourselves disoriented. We find that they're not anchoring us in the way that we need we find ourselves alone, even, even while we may be surrounded by many people. And yet what we see here in this verse as well is even in that lostness, even in that going our own way, the heart of the Father is never condemnation, but is to seek and save. Not that he's misplaced anything, not that he's been negligent, but we have gone our own way and his desire is to take on himself all that was made wrong and to set things right, to save, to seek us out. The interesting thing 
that we find as Jesus comes into the world, as we saw the way that he does that, and it's so different to how we would ever imagine or, or would ever do it ourselves perhaps, because remember, we, 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 we're used to our own ways. And yet what we see here is an incredible contrast when he comes into the world. And this is actually the, the way, um, as, as Jesus comes into the world, um, as he comes in as light, there's a real contrast that starts to happen. The way that he works for our salvation starts in a way that we don't expect. It's in a way where we start to feel our lostness. We start to feel our need. And it doesn't feel good to be in that space. It's a real internal wrestle where we start to sense something is not right, I need something more, and it may, maybe I don't even know where that is or how to get it. Jesus, in a way, shows up every wrong path that anyone has ever taken. And the way that that hits us is, is, is by this contrast, this, this tension in us. Something is wrong. The verse, in fact, that, uh, that comes from Luke, that, that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, comes from a little story in Luke 19, a story you probably know well, um, of Zacchaeus. And I wanted to go through just quickly that story uh, because I think it gives a good indication of, of how Jesus coming into our sphere, into our world, starts to work in our hearts. This is what it says in Luke 19, verses 2 to 10. Um, it says, a man was in Jericho named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So we see, so Jesus comes into the town of Jericho. Um, Zacchaeus has a sense, hears of him, and something in him is, 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 is working. Um, there's a sense that he needs something more. He needs to find out a bit more. And so he, so he moves towards Jesus. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Now I can tell you, there's a real contrast there that the people can see around that, that here is one man who seems to be so far beyond um, even human, a good man, a man who can perform mighty things. And here he is wanting to meet with this, with this tax collector, uh, a rich man, a person who, who seems to have it all figured out perhaps in his own life. And yet they're saying, how can this man meet with a sinner? There's a real contrast there. But Zacchaeus himself doesn't need anyone to tell him that. He's already feeling that tension within himself. When Jesus calls out to him to come down, when Jesus interacts with him, when Jesus says, I wanna come to your house, 
what he sees there is, is, is the benevolence of, of Jesus, an incredible uh, will to good for him, um, towards him, but that would create a, an incredible tension within him. Who am I? It creates a contrast inside of him. What does it mean to move from that place where that tension is felt into the space of salvation, into the space where you sense the lostness, but you move into the foundness? There are a couple of responses that people have made through the ages, um, but I want to focus on, on just three. Zacchaeus is, is the third one I'll look at. But as Jesus comes into the world, as he is light, as he shows what it means to be good beyond all measure, as he shows what it means to be a king, to be God, in fact, it brings a contrast. The first contrast we see is in King Herod. As, as the magi, as the wise men come through on their way to give homage, pay homage to this new king, they they stop by the palace of King Herod and they, and they end up talking to him and he finds out about this new king that's coming. And he realizes that this is a king that far surpasses any status that he has, far surpasses um, any, any goodness that he has in himself. And he makes a decision as that tension arises in, in his heart, in his, in his, in his um, very inner being, the contrast that there is someone good and here is someone who is less. He makes a decision to get rid of what is greater so that he can remain in power, so that he can be good in his own right. It's sort of like those, um, those people, um, um, and I know that in my own heart, um, who, who, if you're ever playing sport, uh, and it's not about, who the, who the best team is and the fairest team is, it's just about whether you win. And what you'll do to win, uh, you may cut corners, you may, um, um, it, it, you, you may, you may do things that, that are completely contrary to what the rules of the game are. But in the end, it doesn't matter because you've won and that's all that matters. That perhaps is the heart of Herod, one of the responses. Another response comes as Jesus starts his, his ministry. It's one of his first interactions with Peter, uh, uh, one of the disciples. And Peter has spent all his night fishing. He's a fisherman. And Jesus comes to the shore and calls out to him, um, um, dialoguing with him, whether he's, whether he's caught any fish. And of course, uh, Peter says, no, he's been fishing all night. And Jesus says, throw, throw your nets over to the other side. Perhaps something similar happens in the heart of Peter in this moment. Uh, he's the fisherman. Jesus uh, is, is, is just some guy uh, calling out to him. Um, he's the one who's done all the work. Uh, he's the one who knows what he's doing. This is his stomping ground. He knows the way the fish work here. And yet he makes a decision um, to, to just throw the nets over to the other side. And he does that and he draws in a massive haul, such a big haul that the nets are almost breaking. 
And this is what happens as he comes to the shore. He drops at Jesus' feet and he senses this real contrast. Here is a man that is so far beyond anything he has ever known. And he is him and he sees um, this difference that is tearing him apart. And he says something incredible. He says, go away, go away from me, depart from me. I'm a sinner. You see, there's a response there as that contrast, as that difference, as the light shines in the darkness. There's a sense that I'm not, I'm, I'm not right. I'm lost. And the response there of Peter in his humanity is, is, is just to go, I, I, just go away. I, I can't bear this. I can't bear the contrast. I can't bear to know, to feel how wrong things are. And praise God that Jesus doesn't do what he says because as we read in Isaiah 53, his movement is towards bridging that, bridging that gap. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We've heard, we've heard an incredible real life testimony of that very reality. There's a movement towards salvation. There's a movement towards being found. And so that's what we see in Zacchaeus. We'll pick up. We read that uh, those were grumbling around him and saying that he's gone, Jesus has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. And this is what happens. Look at this response. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, before you jump to a conclusion that it's, it's Zacchaeus' good intentions himself to go and rectify things that is, that is earning him salvation, it's not. And he knows that. What he's felt in that moment is the incredible, the same tension that Peter felt, that, that difference. But his focus was not on his lostness. The focus was on the fact that someone who could save invited himself to come in, to meet with him. His focus was on Jesus and his ability to save. And in that moment, he found within himself something welling up that reflected the very one who comes to save. See, there's a hinge point. For each one of those people, they felt the same thing in them. They felt, here's someone who far surpasses everything I've ever known. Here is someone who is good. And, and here's me. And I'm so far from that. I'm so separate from that. I'm so other to that. It's unbearable in me. And yet the hinge is where you go from that point. Zacchaeus sees Christ and he sees a saviour. 
and he opens himself up to that reality. Matthew 4, 16 to 17 says this, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The darkness as people come to experience it, as we come to experience it, as we come to know how dark that darkness is, it is only for an expectation for the light to dawn. Seeing the light dawn, seeing the light that has come into the world, it may not look like something grand, it may not look directly like the sun shining in your face, but there is a light coming that they can see and they open themselves up to that reality. For Herod, he seeks to snuff out the light. For Peter, he's in, he's in limbo. We know that, he, that, that Jesus works with him and draws him to the place where he's ready to, to receive everything that Christ has for him. But in that moment that we saw there in that response, Peter, Peter feels like he's in limbo. And for Zacchaeus, we see the light coming in and dispelling the darkness. New life coming in. This is the reason Christ came. Not to bring condemnation, not to show a contrast just so that he can look good for himself while we suffer and remain lost. No. His goodness is expressed in his coming to save us. And yet somehow we may at times find ourselves in a place where, where we know that he's good, similar to what, what Peter's experienced. We know he's good and we know that, that he's for us, that he's merciful towards us. But at the same time, our focus is not on him, it's on us and our, and our darkness, our, our inability to, 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 be, to be as he is. And we focus on the separateness rather than opening ourselves up to the, to the light that he's wanting to bring in. It would be as if, which is completely ridiculous, but it would be as if um, little Hunter coming out of the, of the Christmas forest there and going, um, um, I'm lost, having a sense of that. And then us trying to tell him that, that's okay, your dad's really great. Your dad's so good. He loves you. But what he needs in that moment is the very reality of his father. He doesn't know who we are. We're not the ones who can just um, fix whatever is going on in his heart, make him found. And yet somehow, sometimes we find ourselves in those places. It's not a lack of, of belief that he is good, that he's a savior, but it's almost just a lack of of. of Faith, perhaps, that what he wants to do is bring that salvation now. 
that the darkness that's there, he wants to dispel now. Jesus, as, as we first encounter him, as we first see the darkness, and as we first come to encounter his love and his mercy, his forgiveness, because of him just taking on everything on the cross, as we experience that, we, we, we begin to know love. We see it. It has an effect on us. But I want to reflect what what our friends said here earlier on, I want to reflect the what next aspect of it. I, I, I want to re, reflect the fact that the all-surpassing light and goodness of who God is revealed in Jesus is so far beyond only the bad things that we were involved in in the past. He saved us. Many of you know that here tonight. Perhaps, perhaps many of you are still in that place of darkness. I want to tell you, he is a savior for you from that darkness. And for those who have known that salvation from darkness, I want you to know the all-surpassing greatness of who he is in such a way that perhaps that might reveal other things in your life. Maybe things that are not even necessarily um, bad, in the past, maybe, maybe you had hatred towards people and now you find that that hatred is gone and, and, and you love the people around you, but there, are, but there are some people that you just find, I just can't, I just can't love them. But it's not necessarily a hatred. Maybe it's just an apathy. Maybe it's a lack of compassion. I want you to know the all-surpassing greatness of Christ who looks on any one person and is filled with compassion, with a desire to seek and to save. This is the reality that he wants to draw us into. This is the work of his salvation, not just in saving us um, for ourselves, but drawing us into the reality of who he is, his very light taking over all of who we are, His salvation is greater than you think at the moment. We cannot over, over emphasize, we cannot um, yeah, that, that's the opposite, right? We can never underestimate, thank you. We can never underestimate the all-surpassing greatness and love of who he is, of his salvation, of the reality that he's wanting to bring into our lives. And the more that he has for us, I'm gonna tell you now, is nearer than you expect as well. He's wanting to draw us into a space where even as Craig was saying, where he came into contact with, with someone here in our, in, in our very midst who, who, who had such a peace and contentment that he himself, not because he had it in himself, but because he had Christ in him, was light to Craig, a drawing for Craig, part of his journey. This is the thing he wants to draw us into 
I want to say that there's, there's an incredible story actually of, of the disciples. Um, Jesus has, has been crucified and he's actually been resurrected, but they don't know yet. They don't realize that, um, that, that he's been resurrected. And there's two of them that are, that are on a journey. Um, they, they may not be lost in the external of things, but inside there's an incredible turmoil. They say that we had hoped that Jesus was the one to redeem us, to redeem all Israel, but now he's dead. Jesus is the light, even in that moment, bringing about the reality that, that's in them, revealing that lostness, showing that there's something there that needs light, that needs saving, that needs to be found. And the ironic thing is, is they're saying that all the while while Jesus is walking with them and they don't even recognize him. I wanna tell you that if they could miss something greater that he was wanting to do, then there are ways that we can miss it as well. And that's not a condemnation. That should fill you with expectation for what he's wanting to do, even in your life. No matter how much you've known of, of him in the past, no matter how faithful he's been, he is more faithful. He is more powerful. He is more able. And it's in this way again that Jesus actually, after he resurrects and spends 40, 40, um, 40 days with his disciples, he leaves them in, in the flesh. He leaves them. And again, that, that, there's this incredible disorienting nature of what that is. Why? Why would he leave them? In fact, I, every one of you, I'm sure, would have a sense, you know, if Jesus were just here physically right now, that would be the best possible scenario, right? And yet he's saying no. Does that... Is that disorienting? Does that, what, what does that mean? And yet he says it's better. It's better that he not be here in the flesh right now. Or else he would be here, trust me. And the reason why is because he sends his very self where we, where we have a sense of our lostness deep within us, where we have a sense of the darkness in us, he comes to that very place to save us right there in the very heart of where the issue is, to bring light into the very center of who we are, that we would become light in this world, that we would be his body in this world. And so there's a double-edged sword here. One, to know, to come to know that reality, to come to know that, that he is wanting as he reveals himself and how good he is and as you feel the tension and the contrast there that he's wanting to come and dispel that to save you, for you to be found, not to condemn you, for you to know that. He longs for you to know that tonight. And for, and for everyone who has known his mercy and his forgiveness to set your eyes on him again, to see him in an even greater light. And perhaps that will bring things up. Perhaps, perhaps it will bring about a contrast again. But don't be afraid of that. If there's a contrast there, it's only to be saved. If there's, if there's a sense of lostness, it's only to be found in an even greater way. If there's a sense of darkness, it's for a greater manifestation of his light. And it's his very self that he's wanting to come and indwell us in this season 
into eternity. And so let's, let's not underestimate. Let's actually, at times, even allow ourselves to feel that tension. Not for the sake of staying there, God forbid that, but to be saved. For this reason, he came. Let's pray. Jesus, you stand at the door and knock. You do that even now. Your desire, as we've heard tonight, we've seen your faithfulness, we've seen your power, we've seen your love manifest in a real life. We've heard the testimony of that, of of a whole family being drawn into your life, into your power, into your love. It means something and it means something tangible. We need it. Every single one of us. And so Jesus, as you knock on the door of the hearts that have never known you, even tonight, as they feel the tension, as they feel perhaps their their inadequacy, their failure, maybe it's been many years. Maybe they've tried many different things and yet you knock ready as they feel that tension give them that faith flood in now the light in the darkness dispel that darkness as they open up their hearts to receive who you are and for us who have known you to be a mighty God mighty to save, who have known you, to be a a loving God beyond comprehension, to be merciful, powerful, knock on our hearts as well, that we may become ever increasingly a light for others, that when they see us, they would see and feel a contrast, just as Craig felt and didn't understand. And yet even in that, in that, that confusion and, and that turmoil, it's not your desire to bring about that in itself for its own sake, but only to bring about salvation. May we be those prompters to salvation in this world knock on our hearts, we open. We open all of who we are to you. Continue to reveal yourself to us in increasing measure. Not only as individuals bind us together as your people, not only here in this place, not only in this church, but beyond that. We wanna see the greater things not because we can do greater things, but because it's a greater manifestation of you. That we've just had our eyes opened and our hearts turned towards you in a greater way. 
to see that you are all of our life. And so come. Don't delay. We don't want to hinder anything else. We don't want to hinder you any longer. We surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we worship. Look on him. Look on him. Think of him. If there are places in your life where you go, look, I'm not, I'm not Jesus. Use those places. Start, ask him to bring about that light that causes attention. You go, but I, but I want to be. I want to know his life in me in a way that I'm not constantly telling myself that, that, that I'll never measure up or focusing on the way that I'm different, but that sees his beauty and his power to save and opens your heart to that. So let's do that as we worship.
come right now just to pray I just I just wanted to give a little moment of, of a response as well and feel free to put your hands up. I just want to say two things if you want to respond in a way tonight and say I am lost and I want to be found I am lost but I know Jesus that you came to seek and so save those who are lost so I am here I'm lost but I want to be found Put your hands out. The other response that I want to say tonight as we're in a moment of prayer right now is if Dan was sharing and, and you have been underestimating the power of God, underestimating the fact that there is more, there is way more in Jesus Christ, I encourage you to also put your hand out in those two responses. First, to say, I'm lost, I'm lost, and I'm here to be found. Second, I want to see more of who you are. So let me pray. Dear me, Father, as I stand here now too with my hands out, I want to see more of who you are. There is way more. Jesus Christ, you are amazing. I pray for those that have their hands out right now to say, I'm lost. But I am found in you, Jesus Christ. I have been found. Thank you, Jesus. This is, this is a joyful moment. We want to see more of who you are in your holy and your precious name. Amen. Feel free to take a seat. It's been amazing to have you at church tonight. 
And I really want to encourage you. I was thinking about it before as well. Is, um, we, we love to put dinner on, but it's such a great opportunity to connect with one another. And I was just chatting to a mate this week, and he was saying what he loves asking people, and he does it. I see him do it all the time as he asks people often, what's your story? Just tell me a bit of your story. And it's so incredible to hear how good God is and how God pursues people. So I encourage you, as we have a meal tonight, if you're thinking to yourself, I don't really know who to have dinner with, I encourage you to grab a meal, walk out and just join one of the tables. And church, let's make sure we welcome people well. We, wanna, we are a family and we want to connect with one another. We want to do life closely with, with each other. So let's do that. Um, and, and as I said, let's thank the catering team. They are they're such a blessing to us. So have an amazing week. Great to see you all.